the, the signs are very evident. I mean, factor it in. If your significant other enjoyed doing something and they just out of nowhere, you realize, man, this is not the same person I married. And it's been three months. Something's happening. Something's there. And so one of the first things I do with somebody that's trying to come out of an addiction is number one, I need to build their value. I need them to understand that just because you're addicted, it doesn't mean you're any less, you're any less intelligent, you're any, you know, all the stigmas that society places on these things. And the church especially has placed a tremendous amount of stigma on addiction. We compartmentalize addiction ministries. Dear young married couple, you're in a busy season of your life. You're probably working and involved in ministry. On top of that, you might even be parents or students. You're maxed, but you really want to stay connected in your marriage. And that's why we're bringing this podcast to you. I'm Adam King. And I'm Carissa King. And we work with busy couples just like you in our counseling office here in Sacramento, California. We also work with couples all over the world through online counseling. And our couples are really just looking for ways to communicate with each other more effectively. Some of them are looking to heal from a breach in trust or find direction in fulfilling the purpose that God has for them. So come and join us as we have a conversation. We'll talk with therapists, authors, pastors, and other couples who will pour into us, giving us tools to become more intimately connected, get adventurous, and find purpose. Hello, everybody. Today, we're getting some tips and resources from an expert will really help those who are supporting a spouse through addiction recovery. So welcome, Reverend Timothy Haddon. Thank you for being with us today. Good to be with you all. Thank you for the invitation. Honored to be a part of this. Aw. Well, you are an expert, and we asked you to be on our podcast for a couple reasons. Um, so for those who are listening, one reason is that he's a pastor. Um, he's a pastor of Antioch Northwest Pentecostal Church in Portland, Oregon. And he's also an outpatient addictions counselor. So he has his CADC. And um, I think that's a unique combo because he's able to give us some insight spiritually, but he also has a lot of the practical skills and clinical skills from his education um, and his work with people professionally. So um, we're really, really thankful that you're going to be here to shed some light on these topics uh, of addiction and not just addiction, but supporting a spouse through their addiction recovery. Maybe we can start by simply a definition. What is an addiction and maybe what are the signs to look for? Yeah. And, you know, in the last 20 years, you know, the actual scope of the term addiction has really expanded. Um, when you talked about addiction originally, most of that was focused around substance use or reinforcing behavior that had more of like an ap ap appetitive nature. Mm -hmm. And it's only been, I think in the last 20 years that we have seen quite a shift in the addiction definition that moves into what's called process addictions or behavioral addic addictions, which uh, Carissa King would, would know quite an extensive amount about. And so we have moved addiction away from just the stigma of kind of the junkie sitting on the side of the road, um, you know, not, not really being productive, struggling and facing addictions in his life. And we've expanded it to something that really focuses on 
a compulsive and repetitive quality that mm. is self-destructive. And uh, where I think addiction really steps in, because we have to be careful not to uh, turn every human activity and pathology into an addiction. Uh, yeah, so talk about that. What is not an addiction? Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, so the DSM, uh, the Diagnostic and St Statistic Manual of Disorders, there's so much debate. And they're still, to this point, debating uh, sexual addictions as DSM cate categorized disorders. Um, they still don't quite know what to do with uh, uh, internet addiction, uh, uh, digital addictions. Um, so, again, there is a sense of where we lose moderation on things versus addictions, which at the end of the day, an addiction is something that's self-destructive and ex is experienced as something difficult to modify or stop. But that key phrase is self-destructive mm -hmm. or it destru it's destructive to people around you. So okay. going to the gym can be an addictive quality. It's not for me, but it can be, <laughs> it can be an, an addictive quality to some people, but mm -hmm. we can't necessarily classify uh, some, uh, somebody's gym fascination with an addiction unless it becomes self-destructive or destructive to those around them. Right. So we, yeah, that's, it, really that's, that's a difficult dynamic to really navigate. Yeah. What are some of the common addictions that you see specifically in church circles or with Christian clients? So with church individuals, one of the, the, the large ones, number one, we see a tremendous amount of pornography, sexual addiction. Mm -hmm. And you have to remember when you talk about sexual addiction, and I'm just going to kind of put this little disclaimer here, is pornography doesn't need a, a, a digital medium for it to thrive. All it needs is an overactive imagination. So the mind can be just as pornographic as your computer screen. So that is something that I do have to always clarify because yeah. people may have a runaway mind where they are compulsively masturbating to mm -hmm. fantasies that are in the mind. And that's just as pornographically addictive uh, as some of those other things. Uh, the other one that I see a lot of is prescription medication. Uh, mm. Sleep aids are huge in Christian mm. circles. Um, uh, a lot of anxiety medications, depression medications, and some of those are psychotropic in nature. Um, so I do see a lot of prescription pills. Um, I don't run across a lot of alcoholism, uh, necessarily hidden alcoholism. Um, but I would say those things that are easier to hide. Um, mm primarily between prescription meds and pornography are probably the two most common. Yeah. I could totally see um, the difference of why you would see more of, uh, of the prescription medication addiction rather than alcohol because alcohol I think would be harder to start for a lot of these people that, you know, are faithful to church and stuff. But if I break my leg or I have some difficult, really bad pain and I start, taking a lot of medication, and then I become hooked on it. I could see how a lot of people could become mm -hmm. addicted and not know what to do because I would assume shame would probably enter the picture there and, and they would not have the ability to stop. Shame or, uh, or just absolute ignorance. Um, you know, this is one of the things that I think is severely important for spouse support 
let's say your husband or wife is going in for, for an operation. And we know that that operation is going to come with a prescription uh, opiate, something that's going to help with the pain. One of the things that we fail to recognize is the large majority of doctors are not trained in addiction. They're not trained that they, they haven't, it's almost like, uh, just like, uh, uh, nutrition is very seldom a, a large part of, of medical school. Um, yeah. so what happens is they prescribe pain meds and they don't even talk to you about what's called a tapering schedule. That's what staggers yeah. me is yeah. how many people go in for, med for medications after a, an operation and a doctor never talked to them about tapering. So, and, and I'm sure you guys understand what tapering is, mm -hmm. it, you know, What's tapering, tapering. Yeah, I'm glad you asked. This is a pet, <laughs> this is a pet peeve of mine because there's a lot of, of, of Christians that get hooked on prescription meds and it's not necessarily their fault. It's the physician's fault. So what it is, is recognizing that it takes a very short amount of time to get hooked on those kind of medications. Hmm. And so what happens is instead of the doctor sitting down and saying, okay, we're going to prescribe this for a period of four weeks. Well, at the end of those four weeks where, where, where you will no longer be needing the sum total of that prescription uh, milligram, we're going to start reducing the milligram to where we start weaning your body off of this drug naturally. But that doesn't happen. Mm. So what happens is people go cold turkey. They develop Full strength into cold turkey. Yeah. They just huh. stop. So what happens mm -hmm. is uh, I know people that, you know, they, they start developing phantom pain because yeah. their brain is saying, come on, where's those, where's the receptor numb? Where's the chemical uh, reaction that I'm waiting for? Come on. I need it. And, and, and it's mm -hmm. the, just like somebody that gets hooked on quaaludes. You, on purpose, mm -hmm. intentionally, you can't just stop overnight. What would be a good question to ask a doctor who is prescribing opiates or um, even, you know, maybe someone's getting a prescription for an anxiety, an anxiolytic or an antidepressant? What would be a good question about tapering or titrating that that would be um, helpful to ask? Hey, friends, we'll be right back to our interview but one quick note, if you love what you're listening to, you might also enjoy going through our card decks that we designed to help couples stay connected and in each other's world. So there's Foundations, which is our starter deck, and it's all about boosting your communication skills. And then there's Sexpectations, which is all about spicing up your intimate connection. And then there's Realizations, which is a deck for all couples, but especially dating or engaged couples who want to see how well they really know each other. So grab a deck or two or three by heading over to our website, dearyoungmarriedcouple.com slash cards. All right, back to the show. Well, one of the things that I think is important is number one, I want to know the addictive qualities of the drug I'm being prescribed. Okay. Uh, we, we very seldom ask physicians side effect and we very seldom ask pharmacist side effect. We just doctor prescribed it, not knowing that a lot of times there, there are multiple other options that may have less, uh, less psychotropic effects to them. So there, if, if again, I think we need to be more proactive 
when it comes to putting a chemical in our body, you know, mm -hmm. it's like when we go visit somebody overseas, we always ask them, what is this before we eat it? Right. <laughs> but it's amazing to me how when a doctor puts a signature and says, here's what you should have. And I'll give you a perfect example of that. I was, uh, I had a, a knee injury that happened uh, early or late last year. I had a doctor prescribe me muscle relaxers for a swollen knee. Mm -hmm. And the muscle reactors had the, a highly addictive quality to them that, that could be utilized as a sleep aid. Two days into taking those things, my entire facade started to change. I was, wow. I, was, I was disoriented at certain times of the day. And when I went and talked to another doctor, he said, why in the world were you prescribed this for that? Oh. Wow. So I think it's yeah. important to be proactive. Ask the doctor, how's this going to help me? Number two, are there other drugs available that have lesser side effects, less addictive qualities? Okay. You'd be amazed at the options that are there. Good. And I think yeah. something too, just to point out from your experience is that you are tuned into your body and your experience of the world. I find that there are a lot of people who aren't very attuned to what's happening in their body. Uh. You know, like, oh, I just got, I just got a pain or, well, let's not get on emotions. But you, you spotted, oh, this is different. Hmm, does it have to be like this? Mm -hmm. Do I have to accept this as like this is the way it is for the next four weeks. Well, you bring in a very, very difficult dynamic of today's generation is that we typically are symptomatic, not causation. And so mm -hmm. everything that we do is all about modifying symptoms. And so we just, Hey, here's a pill. This helps. Hey, here's a pill. This helps. Hey, here's a pill. This helps. Hey, here's a pill. This is why there's such resistance to counseling over the years. Because counseling is not symptomatic. Mm -hmm. Counseling is not quick. It is not, you know, a lot of people go visit a counselor one time, and especially in marriages, we know this. And the husband typically is the one that makes this decision. Okay, hey, I went. Does that satisfy you? Everything should we're be good, fixed. Right? We're good, <laughs> We're good. This should be fixed. It's symptomatic. Okay, and, and here's men as fixers. Hey, I, I dumped all of my problems. This is what I do wrong. Hey, now we know what to fix. Write down a list. Let's deal with the symptoms of this. Not going to causation. How was your relationship with your father? Did you see, uh, did you see behavioral modeling correctly between your mother and father? Do you know how to, did you ever have love model? So again, our medical industry is primarily driven, and I'm in the process of writing a book. One day I'll get it uh, finished that talks about how we, we, we literally ignore causation for symptomatic wow. approaches. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Why, why is that? Well, causation equals responsibility. Hmm. And the moment that you go down to the source of cause, and this is one of the big things. And if we, if we spiritualize this is part of the reason why I think evolution and big bang has such a, a, an appeal to it, because if you can reduce the world down to spontaneity, you can divorce yourself from responsibility. But the moment, the moment that you acknowledge a divine intelligent creator and you are the source of a divine, you, you originated from a divine intelligent creator, that equals responsibility. 
Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Dostoevsky yeah. said, "Without God, all things are permissible." Yeah, yeah. And I think that that speaks to what you're saying. Absolutely. And so that causation dynamic, it, it and again, I, I know we we got a lot to cover, but that causation deal runs directly into uh, addiction and all the things we talk about. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. What would you say um, are some warning signs for someone who thinks that their spouse might be addicted to something um, and they're not sure, they don't know how to talk about it? What can they be looking out for? So um, if we're talking, uh, if we're talking, you know, substance abuse, substance abuse can take quite a lot longer to manifest in some areas. Um I think a lot of uh, it, it, this is just really a, a, a point blank statement that I'm going to make. I don't think that that husbands and wives pay enough attention to each other sometimes. And I think that the signs are actually more evident. And when we come down to the end of the line and, and, and spouses are just shocked, I really think that if spouses were a little more cognizant of their other significant other, they would immediately begin to recognize subtle symptoms and signs that something's not normal here. For example, um, individuals that, that let's say they have, they've long enjoyed uh, going and playing racquetball. And then out of nowhere, um, within a matter of a month, they start losing interest in things that they have had insatiable drives for. And, and a lot of people say, well, he's getting older, or she's getting older, or she's this. Or I think if we would follow our gut response a little bit more and be a little more observant of each other, that is a number, that is a flag, the loss of interest in things that used to interest us. Um, uh, schedule changes, uh, sleeping longer, uh, irritability. Uh, there's so many signs, and, and to go through all of them, would and and probably people listening to this say, "Oh my goodness, my husband he's addicted to you know pills because he's irritable all the time." No, that's not what I'm saying. But the the signs are very evident. I mean, factored in, if your significant other enjoy doing something and they just out of nowhere you realize, man, this is not the same person I married, and it's been three months. Something's mm. happening. Yeah, something's there. And so how can they address that? Well, yeah, because I, I feel like some people get that suspicion or notice that. Mm-hmm. And, and you're right. There's a lot of people who miss that because they're not looking for it or they're naive or something like that. But if they do notice But if it, they do notice something is different mm-hmm. or something is going on, what now? Well, you know, I tell people, especially when it comes to addictions, um, the worst way to approach anybody to try to breach a subject is... I've noticed this is wrong. Um, to start something to where it puts people into the defensive posture is never going to produce anything productive. So I think one of the things I'm really big on, and this isn't original to me, and I can't remember if it was Gary Smalley. I don't remember who it was that I read this from, but uh, the use of analogies or pictures or words uh, to sit down with somebody and 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 breach something from something they find interest in. So say, for example, your significant other has just in the last three months, just something has changed in their behavior. 
they're not as happy as they used to be They're And so you could sit down and say, you know what? Um, I've noticed in, in, in the last little bit, you, you remember, and you can start bringing up times about uh, going and playing and, 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 and doing racquetball and doing things, but finding ways to use communication and talk to them that doesn't immediately make them feel like something's wrong in their life. Um, mm. Letting them know from the beginning. And I'm going to be honest with you as a man. Um, I am not, and, and I don't know this is, if this is the difference between millennial versus the edge of the millennial generation that I'm a part of. I'm not really big on that cloak supportive language coming from my wife, you know, like I'm here to support you. To me, that just comes across as a setup. Um, okay. And, 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 and different people, you know, different strokes for different folks. I get it. Um, <laughs> but I think at the end of the day, it's a partnership. And that significant other sits down and says, look, is everything okay? You know, I've noticed that there, you, you don't play racquetball anymore. Is, 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 is there anything that, 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 that I can do? You want, do you want me to go play with you? Do you, in other words, try to find ways to breach it. A lot of men or women that are addicted to like, say a prescription drug are really probably not even truly aware that mm-hmm. that's what's occurring in their lives because they're good people. They go to church, they, you know, a lot of them, they're not thinking, oh my goodness, uh, something is desperately wrong in my life and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a dope head. Right. So question for yeah. you. Yeah. I love that, that approach. How should a spouse, you know, say I have this suspicion, how should I like, cause you talked about, okay, here are the words to use. How should we structure the, the, question to them or you know your concerns should it be like an offhand like i'm washing the dishes and and you're at the dish washer and you know we're just like and so by the way or should it be like a hey you know let's sit down and have a discussion i I have some concerns to bring up or i don't know how what the wording you would use there but how should that be done i think the second approach is going to be better than the dishes um because you're going to need the attention of the, of the other individual. Mm -hmm. They're going to need a sense, I think, to prepare. And if we're talking like pornography, most men that I deal with, and of course we see women, the rise of pornography with women even, which is Mm -hmm. staggering, but majority in marriages, it's going to be the man that's going to be engaged in that behavior. And so one of the things that I, I do know about men that are connected and addicted to porn. They've, they've, they have, uh, in a sense, to put this in the right words, they have dreaded the day um, when it finally happens. And I almost get goosebumps every time I talk about this. There is almost a sense of of despair and relief that battles with each other because they've been trapped. They they are so trapped, especially with pornography. And they have hidden it for so long that when a spouse sits down and says, you know what, babe, I love you, but I, I, I want to, I want to ask you a question and, and I'm not asking this because I think you're any less of a man, but are you having any trouble uh, with pornography? And, and if I'm wrong, forgive me, but you know, because I value our marriage and I hope that you'd be able to ask me, um, that is not an easy conversation. And a lot of that is going to depend as Carissa King would say, you know, it's going to depend really on the relationship between the husband and the wife. Mm -hmm. 
um, if there's a bad relationship there, mm-hmm. I'm going to leave that yeah. up to the, to the licensed marriage and family therapist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a key concept differentiating between a relationship that is um, stable versus a relationship that it has um, abuse, domestic violence, uh, instability. The conversation will look completely different. And sometimes having the aid of a neutral third party to walk through that conversation with them can be helpful. I've had it where I'm working through, um, you know, take a couple that was on the brink of divorce. From there, we work for months. We get them to a really a much more solid place. And then everything comes to light mm-hmm. about yeah. pornography. And we look back and say, you know, if it would have happened then, and I'm not saying we need to not find out or talk about it, but I'm saying sometimes maybe God prepared that time mm-hmm. in, in our work together. Yeah. But yeah, it's much, it's, it can be a very healing thing to go through. Yeah. You know, to have that out, I guess. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. I put a, I put together kind of a list and, and, and I want to clarify this because I think that there's a danger in, I guess, turning um, spouses loose, I guess, on what's considered detective work. Um, especially the last thing you want to do is engage in um, detective work when, when nothing's going on and there's a, brief, there's a sense of betrayal that could, be, that could occur on the other side's part. That yeah. is so um, true. That's good. And so, you know, some of the, the potential signs that I, you know, I put together that I think, you know, are something that do create flags. Number one, I think they're flags that need to send us to prayer. Okay. Uh, they're flags that need to send us to perhaps consult and get some very uh, counsel, not, not your best friend at church. Um, again, uh, confidentiality when it comes to this, there is absolutely nothing more devastating to a man addicted to pornography than for him to find out that a wife has been having this conversation with a friend or a couple of friends saying, my husband might be. Um, he's hidden it for so long because he's desperately afraid of, of what's going to happen when you find out. The shame, the guilt, all of the false context that's built around the subject. And there's a lot of false context uh, mm-hmm. built around pornography. Uh, just because somebody's hooked on pornography doesn't make them a creep. And, uh, right. you know, it's this stigma that we put on addicts that that really upsets me. Uh, we assume, let's take, for example, somebody uh, addicted to substances. One of our most common things that we do with somebody hooked on a substance abuse is we assume that they're somehow less intelligent than we are. And, and how we talk to them comes across in, in, in our interaction. And so one of the mm. first things I do with somebody that's trying to come out of an addiction is number one, I need to build their value. I need them to understand that just because you're addicted, it doesn't mean you're any less, you're any less intelligent, you're any, you know, all the stigmas that society places on these things. And the church especially has placed a tremendous amount of stigma on addiction. We compartmentalize yeah. addiction ministries. Uh, pornography discussions are relegated to the proverbial back alleys of a church room with a select few group of young men 
and we don't ever talk about this. And so, of course, nobody's going to talk about it. Of course, nobody's going to open up about it. We're so, we've so stigmatized it. So mm-hmm. all of that to say, and I'm ranting on a few of my pet peeves. That's good. Please. That's, it's, it's very is, good. Yeah. Is you have to put value. Um, it, it, it has made me weep to see men come clean. And in, in the first thing out of the mouth of a supportive spouse is I don't love you any less. Hmm. You, it doesn't change the man that I, that I, I you're still who I married, but mm-hmm. you've got a major problem in your life and we've got to fix this problem. And mm-hmm. so some of the potential signs, um, and again, these are not, you, know, you might be listening to this and say, oh my goodness, my husband has this sign. That doesn't mean he's hooked on porn. Uh, there's a lot of substance abuse symptoms and signs that it doesn't mean they're addicted to substance abuses either. But I'm just going to uh, go through these. Number one, uh, with pornography, there, there is oftentimes a decreased sexual desire. And, and, and this is where I want to put a disclaimer here. That decreased sexual desire can also be the result of a lot of other things. And again, sure. we, don't talk about, uh, we don't talk about the role that obesity has on decreased sexual desire. We don't talk about right. that. Um, it can be stress. It can be hormonal levels. It can be, you name it. But one mm-hmm. of the common symptoms of pornography addiction is a decreased sexual desire. Yeah. Um, Number one, uh, number two, and again, I know that this isn't going to be like 12 year old kids listening to this, um, it is, is they have trouble getting aroused in intimate situations Mm -hmm. and there's no explanation for it. They just, they have a trouble getting aroused nor more than likely it's the result of compulsive masturbation that's associated with pornography and compulsive masturbation has been proven um, it is it is terrible the amount of young people that are struggling with ED today. Uh, it's no longer the problem for older people. It's now become a problem among younger people because yeah. this generation is all about, um, you know, uh, depersonalizing the sexual experience. Um, another one, sudden ideas or things desired, and this is important, that are desired in intimate settings that are new or abnormal to your intimate normal. So if one day your husband just pops in, like, why don't we try this? If it's outside of your norm, that ought to be a red flag. Okay. And this whole idea that the marriage bed is undefiled, that anything goes in the marriage bed is a, is a bunch of baloney. We can't go too deep into all this, but that's a huge one. And nobody's talking about it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you are. That's so important. I think these conversations need to happen. Um, yeah. I'm not afraid of them. And I'm a part of a growing generation that is, that it's just like my, I'm a part of a movement right now in my life where I'm so tired of sweeping under the rug. Uh, mm-hmm. What yeah. is plaguing marriages and families and individuals just because yes. we're so embarrassed to talk about it. The yeah. denominal world's not embarrassed to talk about these things. And we need to hurry up and take a cue because if somebody's struggling with pornography addiction and they've never been to a church, they're going to go to a place that, that, that is supportive and speaks language to help that thing. 
Mm-hmm. Get, well, I'm, I'm, I'm ranting here. So Absolutely. Let's Good go point. To, let's go to another one. Um, another very important sign to look out for is they stay up late, though they've evidenced clear signs of being tired. Mm-hmm. Okay. Why are they staying up? Go ahead and go to bed, babe. If you've noticed that he has been yawning and showing and, and being tired, uh, well, I just need to disconnect. One of my big things with, with couples is, is I don't think there's very much productive that can be done on the internet after a certain time of the day. And, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, just sitting on the couch, having your alone time at, at midnight while your wife is in bed, men, please use a little wisdom. Go to bed when she goes to bed. Um, go talk to yeah. each other, lay down in bed and talk about the new house or talk about this or talk again. If, if the individual exhibits being tired and for some reason I'm going to stay up for a little bit, that's another warning sign. Another one, uh, the use of devices in private places. If there's a lock on a door, I think every husband and wife ought to make a commitment with each other that a device is never inside of a locked room. A Good. bathroom, yep. anywhere. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. I've de- I dealt with a with a man that he got discovered because, and I, you know, Ken, we we I want to be careful. There's no way to not be crude a little bit, but he he used the restroom at a certain time every day. His natural biological functions. She'd been married to him for some time. All mm-hmm. of a sudden, he's going to the restroom multiple different times that that really are not normal. And babe, are you having stomach problems or? And then, and then the, the realization is there's, there's no evidence of what he's saying he was doing is happening. Let's just be real with ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. There's no evidence. And so what are you doing? You yeah. lock the door. You, we don't have children. What's the, what, what is the point? I don't barge in on you when you're using the restroom and you always have a device. And, uh, and so that's another one. Um, yeah. It's a good rule. It's just a really good safeguard because what you're doing is you're just kind of laying out some good safeguards. Yeah. You know, why not have some boundaries, even if there's no, nobody struggling, you know, there's some good, good talks that could happen at night. Go to bed together. I love Especially if you get up together at the same time. It's a list of signs or symptoms to look out for, but on the flip side, it's a good list of guidance and boundaries to put in place for a healthy marriage. At least to talk about. Yeah. You know, maybe you you have a good... And one of the things, and you might already say this, but you said a lock on, on a door. What about locks on devices? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. you know, you, you bring up devices. That's another big one. And this is where it, it can get unique. I, I am never afraid of my wife using my computer, my phone, my device. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would also say that a big sign is when, when individuals get territorial over their devices. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. Why did you change your uh, password, babe? Oh, you know, the kids were getting on there. Okay. None of our kids <laughs> know the password. Um, yeah. A really good indicator, if you are very, very, very suspicious, is you start looking through Instagram, Twitter, the internet, all their, all of the things that they frequent. And if you constantly notice a common occurrence of deleted history, mm-hmm. almost 99.99999% of the time, they're doing things they shouldn't have been doing. Yeah. 
If you scroll through my Twitter feed in the history, and I just want to make this known for everybody that's not understanding this, you can access more porn on Twitter and you can access, and this shocks people, you have to dig and find illicit things on the internet through dark net resources. Twitter, one of the biggest things, go research it. Child pornography is huge on Twitter. Um, bestiality, rape, all those things can be accessed via Twitter. And if and, and here's the thing about apps. Twitter even more than Instagram? Oh, far more. Wow. wow. Far more. Um, yeah. Uh, there was an article. I need to find the article. The article was talking about the rise of chi- uh, child exploitation via Twitter. Because wow. Twitter doesn't track it's, mm. it's users uh, like, like the internet would or other devices would. And you can okay. go delete your search histories Wow! like that. And yeah. so again, um, yeah, there's so much to talk about there. But and, this is, just- and this is going back to the need of, I often say in sessions and in our seminars, why wouldn't we have safeguards on our phones to have accountability? Because mm-hmm. um, you know... Um, probably something you would you, you teach too is is that um addiction stand on a three-legged stool for addiction to stand there has to be three things in in uh in play it has to be anonymous it has to be accessible and it has to be affordable if it has all three the addiction stands uh, but knock any one of those legs out if it's too expensive you can't afford the drugs you can't afford the pornography well pornography is free Um, if you can't get it, well, we're not all switching to flip phones, most likely. I mean, we, we all have phones and devices everywhere. We, it's very hard to limit accessibility, but the, the place that we like to, to, to encourage people to embrace in our circles is let's get accountability. Let's, let's kick the anonymity piece out and have not a, not a blocker on our phones because I, People get around blockers. People get along around blockers. But if there's a background app running that tracks and that reads what's going on, we're all for that. Yeah. And even if you're not struggling, you can be an example to say, hey, bud, you know, I have it on my phone. Mm-hmm. Why don't you? Yeah. Well, it's the old guardrail premise. You know, why yes. wouldn't you have a guardrail? Mm-hmm. Um, I do understand, you know, I do understand you know, the, the, the argument that's made by some is back in the day we put, I think it was covenant eyes mm-hmm, and yeah. uh, you couldn't even access like Fox news. Right. Um, and so there, there are some, some very legitimate, um, I guess, reactions to some people for some, some of it, they're, they're just way too uh, generic in their control. Um, Especially if it's the blocking system, which Covenant yes. Eyes always functioned as a blocker. Yes. But now Covenant Eyes even came out with a screen Recently. watch and screen watch doesn't block anything. It just yeah. tracks. So it's it's just putting accountability in place. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and that's good. Absolutely. Do you have anything else on your list of uh, things to look out for or guardrails, uh, guidance to put in place, boundaries? Um, let's say you have a spouse that's, that's concerned that her husband is, 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 you know, hooked on something like that. I do think that a very proper understanding for that other individual, 
of the action of addiction of pornography is extremely important um, for them before they really move into a true confrontation. For example, mm -hmm. we dealt with somebody one time that she discovered that her husband was on it and uh, she was out the door going to get a divorce because in her mind he was committing bona fide adultery on her. Mm. And, and, and I get it. There's a lot of contention with what's adultery and what's not, but I'm going to be very honest with you. I do not tell, and I do not promote the idea that somebody that's hooked on pornography. Now it's a gross overstep and violation of, of the trust, but I'm not going to put that in as a bona fide idea of, of actual adultery. Um, and, and everybody's will, got their, you know, they can think what they want on that. Sure. But I do think yeah. gut responses to it sometimes can almost be more devastating to the future uh, development of change. Mm -hmm. um, yes, there's betrayal that comes with it. How it, should a spouse get support um, rather than just, you know, throwing in the towel and saying, I'm divorcing you and I'm telling my friends and family? Um, how, how do you suggest that they seek support in a healthy and safe way? Um, I would always recommend that a spouse that is, let's say, uh, pretty sure that her husband is engaged in pornography, I think it's very good for them to have a very confidential place to, uh, to vent their feelings and get proper feedback. I, mm -hmm. I would absolutely promote and recommend, uh, of course, Christian counseling because their, their worldview on it is a whole lot different than just basic secular counseling. Right. The yeah. other thing that I would do is I think it's important to research. I think it's important to have the right tools put in your hands to gain an understanding. And I don't know if you've read the book by uh, Stephen Arterburn, Worthy of Her Trust. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. That is a phenomenal resource that any one, if Stephen Ar Arterburn wrote it, I really enjoy it. Stephen Arterburn's incredible. Yeah. But yeah. I think it's important for women to get a hold of that. And I think the gut response of every woman when it comes to pornography needs to be reconciliation. I think it needs to be forgiveness. I think it needs to be, we can get past this and recognize yeah. that that man has despised himself for years mm -hmm. because of this repeated pattern in his life. So what happens is he exchanges, he, he, he gets short-term pleasure out of something that produces long-term pain in yeah. his life. And that is a very definition, again, of addiction. I mean, it is mm -hmm. going back to things again and again and again, and, and you're stuck in them. You just, you, you, every time you, you finish with them, you're guilty. You're full of shame. You mm -hmm. hate yourself for it. And this is yeah. where in the church... Oh, I'm about to get real right here. Um, <laughs> this is where in the church, I get very, very frustrated because it's, there was a study done and, and, and the study was talking, they did a, a survey of, of pornography in, in what would be considered more liberal churches and pornography that was done in conservative churches. And of course, when we say mm -hmm. conservative, we think rules. Right. They found that there was a higher propensity of porn addiction in the conservative churches than there was in the liberal. And this yep. is where all the anti-conservative churches people go, yes, <laughs> see all of those rules. That's legalism. That's not what it revealed. What it revealed, and I'm sure you've come across this study yourself, is it wasn't the fact that there were rules in conservatism. 
It was that mm-hmm. those churches did not have a policy of grace. Yes. In other words, yeah. they weren't open right. to somebody coming to the pastor's office, knocking on the door and saying, Pastor, I've been hooked on porn. No, mm-hmm. if you grew up in the church like I did, you hid those things. Mm-hmm. You didn't talk about those things. You didn't. So imagine you get exposed. Nobody wanted to hear it. Nobody wanted yeah. to hear it. Um, and it's, again, go look at the statistical studies that have been done. Uh, I think Mac, uh, McDowell does the, the, the porn phenomenon. And he yes, reveals he just yeah. how many Christians and leaders are addicted or have been yeah. addicted to porn. Of course, why would you want to help somebody else if you're, if you're stuck yourself? Why would you want to talk about that exposes you? So imagine if you're 12 years old, you get exposed to it. And I listened to your, your podcast with that couple from Wisconsin. And Mm. I wept when he explained telling his mother, because that is one of the most common scenarios that you're going to find with men that finally get discovered or they come clean is somewhere in their life, they were so afraid to come clean about it and nobody wanted to talk about it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you, this is why I get frustrated in, in places where we make this, if, if you're caught on pornography, your life's over. Mm-hmm. That is how we've painted it. How do we start creating the culture of grace? Yes. Well, number one, we're going to have to get past the stigma, stigmatization of addiction. That's the first thing. What does thing. that mean? Yeah. We're going to have to stop basically labeling everybody that gets addicted to something like pornography or addicted to a chemical as somehow an inferior, weak individual. Yeah. Look at the person that goes to bed every night taking, uh, t- taking NyQuil every single night because of the alcohol content to go to sleep. Yeah. Okay, That's an addiction. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But we get really good at classifying our addictions. What is mm-hmm. the most natural thing for a young boy to be attracted to? A yeah. woman. A woman, right. A woman. So from the very beginning, this is where I think our families fail, is we are not sitting down having a proper conversation with children. I'm going to tell my boys this when they get older. I'm going to sit down and say, son, you are going to be attracted to young ladies. God put it in you. You're going to go through the mall and your eyes are going to roll in the back of your head and slap you upside the brain. That is something (laughs) that is going to be normal. Um, I don't want them to feel guilty for having a natural response to an innate desire God gave them. Number two, what I'm going to tell them, and this is what we've lacked. We have a porn problem today in large part. Because, let's just be honest, there was a failure in the home dealing with these things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell my boys, look, you've been given desire. Those are healthy desires. And one day God's going to pair you with a drop-dead gorgeous woman in your eyes. And, and you know what? She's going to be the world to you. But you have to safeguard your desire. You've mm-hmm. got to protect your desires. You, you okay. can't let your desire get polluted. And, and then we talk about what pollutes desire, you know, and again, this goes back to observational modeling, behavioral modeling. How do they mm-hmm. see you and mom interact? Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> do you objectify mom? Um, that's good. Uh, anyways, that's a whole nother conversation, but porn 
is the new sex ed for kids. Yeah. Yeah. So true. Um, well, because so, they don't they don't have they don't have real sex ed until that they go to school. And if they're homeschooled or their parents pull them out of sex ed at school and neglect to do sex get, ed in the home. They don't have a talk at all. Right. There's never and I think a talk. too like this oh, whole and discussion. It's the talk. Yeah. Why why isn't it talks? Right. Ooh. Like why why aren't there conversations happening that are like mm-hmm. Yeah, I I love how you're you're couching it. This isn't yeah. just one conversation. It's it's it's, it's modeling. It's building a culture. It's talking about it. It's inviting them in to ask their questions and to showing them this is how we behave when we see mm-hmm. you know your beautiful mom and how I behave when I see your beautiful mom and how right. I speak to her, how I talk to her. Totally. Well, well, think about how we approach our, like our boys and, you know, I'm not going to you know say which of my boys, but young boys start developing natural responses right? and, and they start experimenting. Okay. It's mm-hmm. a natural thing. Again, there yes. are people that are probably going to listen to this that start cringing, want to turn this off because they're so uncomfortable with this, but trust me, your child is learning how to hide and associate pleasure with hiding. Mm-hmm. why are we not talking to our young boys or exposing, not shaming them right. because a young boy intrinsically feels something's wrong mm-hmm. when he starts to, to first start feeling pleasure. There's this hiding of it. This, that they know number one, we've taught them those areas are off limits. Mm-hmm. And, and then let, let's say they get caught. I, oh, it makes me want to scream at parents that mm-hmm. shame and guilt their kids. Yeah. So don't you ever do that again. You're and, and, and those kids, they, are they going to talk to you next time they have anything nope. to deal with in, in regards? No, they're not. Nope. They're so going to go to their friends. In, yes. Or the, you, or the next or in, safe place. Into hiding. Yep. Yeah. In hiding yeah, or yeah. what everybody's, uh, and I teach a sexual redemption workshop for men, what, we're, what everybody's uncomfortable with, they will experiment as young children with other young children. And that's yes. where everybody goes, oh, oh don't mm-hmm. say, you know what? I've, I've talked to 50, 60-year-old men that started weeping when they realized you're not a, you're not a weirdo and a creep. Because mm-hmm. you didn't have an outlet in your life to talk about these things. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm getting fired wow. up and I apologize. So good. So good. But that leads us, I think, really well into uh, what resources do you have to offer people that are struggling and, and maybe even, you know, parents that have no clue because they've never had um, a model. Yeah. Like, how do I talk to my kids? What's too graphic? What's not graphic? Like, what do we do here? So yeah. maybe help us with some resources. Yeah. resources for that. And then maybe go down the list resources for yeah. um, other addiction issues. I think number one, the resource is, is things like this. Number one, um, again, what you guys are doing uh, is you, you guys are willing to cross into boundaries that again, uh, we've not been willing to cross in, um, you know, and I've developed, uh, I'm developing a podcast with uh, a deal called hope connect. That's hope casting. And I talk about, tell us about the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the podcast is, and I'm developing, it's going to be an online community for recovery, porn, substance abuse, you name it. And it's going to be quite educational. So the the long-term goal of it is, is to develop a platform for people to get grounded, biblical, educational uh, understanding of all things addiction. 
Mm. Uh, we, we, we got a and this take. is from an apostolic professional that has a lot of experience yes. in this. This is so awesome. Well, tell tell people kind of, how to get a hold of the, the podcast and the community that you're developing. So the community, you can go hopeconnect.net. You can put your first last name in and your email, and it will put you in a mail uh, system that when we do release things, it will shoot you an email anytime that we do release things. Okay. Right awesome. now, right. the podcast is up, and uh, our social media presence is there. And right now, we are highlighting testimonies and stories of people that have come through addiction. Um, okay. So it's going to be substance abuse, pornography. Again, we find it harder to get people to open up about sexual addiction than, but again, we've, I am doing this to try to break down the barrier. Mm -hmm. um, and, awesome. And, Good and for you. Counselors all that. over the world, I know will be on board with this because co-occurring disorders, it's not as simple as our marriage is bad. Well, then right. you got trauma, then you've got addiction, then you've got, it, mm -hmm. there's never just one little thing normally today. Totally. Yep. Well, people are complex. So, so hopeconnect.net and then on uh, social media, what's the handle? It is Hope Connector okay. at Facebook. And okay. uh, I cannot remember off the top of my head, Instagram. Okay, um, but they I can search it. Yes, they can find okay. it. Okay, and we'll put it in the show notes as well. Yeah, and, and the then, podcast um, is yeah. called Hope Casting. You can okay. search that in Apple Podcast. And uh, there are three episodes. I just loaded uh, up our first conversation on porn and desire. So okay. some of the things we talked about with desire are on there. Uh, demystifying, getting rid of the myth, getting rid, rid of the stigma. That's a big, big thing Excellent. that we're going to be dedicated to there. Okay. So that's and one people resource. people want to get in contact with you personally for counseling or to talk further about these resources, um, they can email you at recovery at hopeconnect.net. Correct. Really, my biggest drive for this is not private practice. It's education. Yeah. Um, that's that's mm -hmm. my heartbeat for this is education. Um, wow. I don't have the time to do private practice. Yeah. Like well, a, and if folks are um, wanting an intensive outpatient program or even a partial hospitalization program and they're not in the state of Oregon to contact you, we encourage you guys reach out to a local IOP or a PHP. Um, you could do some research on the internet to, to find a program that can help you if you are addicted um, and there's lots of good programs out there. You can reach out to um, Timothy Haddon. You can reach out to us to help you connect to something or someone that will help. We help many couples through um, addictions and mm -hmm. all the elements that come out with that yeah. and help with the repair process in marriages. Absolutely. And then we also have people that we know that we're connected with in other states mm -hmm. that do a lot of this work as well. Yes. So yeah. reach out if you need that. Well, as we gear to close here, we like to ask our dear young married couple letter. Um, before we do, folks who are listening, if you are enjoying what you're listening to, please leave a review. Um, it helps us reach many, many more couples. So we appreciate that. Um, all right. So, Brother Haddon, we would like you to fill in the blank, thinking back to advice that you wish you would have received in the first few years of your marriage. Uh, fill in the blank, dear young married couple. Oh, yeah. I've been waiting for this moment. Uh, <laughs> so, dear young married couple, uh, one of the things that I wish I would have uh, asked or gotten advice on when I first got married, and we got married around 25 and 26, mm -hmm. is that 
there are always exceptions to every single rule. And uh, there is no such thing as a cookie cutter marriage. Uh, there's books that are written about it. There are different points of view. And the most frustrating thing that I came across that caused more personal contention and initially insecurity in my life was reading books and sitting there scratching my head saying, wait a second, she's like me and I'm like her. And everybody's saying, you know, this is how women are. This is how men are. And you put this generic mold and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, something's wrong with me. Uh, so what happens is you push, you push away any advice because it doesn't fit your mold. And so I, what I wish somebody would have told me is, is learn how to chew meat, spit out bones, get important principles, and don't go looking for the perfect ideal. Um, Look for, yes. look for advice and marriage counseling that is very, uh, you know, where the rubber meets the road. It, it's working. Mm-hmm. It's life. Good. Um, so th- that, that's what I would, uh, that's what I wish I would have been told. Well, yeah. thank you so much for joining us. I'm sure we'll be having future conversations and having you on again. I know uh, the family is a topic you really like to discuss and educate people about. So maybe we'll have you on again to talk about that. <laughs> As he's showing us here on the screen, a picture of his <laughs> child with uh, what's going on there. With a his busted lip. lip. A busted and, uh, lip. <laughs> so while we've been doing this, welcome to True Marriage. <laughs> oh, man. Christian his busted family. his lip. Can you come home? <laughs> oh no! We'll get home to your family. Thank uh, you so thank much. Thank you so much, Brother Haddon. God bless you. Okay, bless you guys. All right, friends. We really hope that today's conversation was beneficial for you. If you're wanting some help, some individual or couples counseling to help with broken trust in your marriage. This is a very difficult problem to solve by yourself. We'd love to come alongside you and help you through this process. Just reach out. Give us a call at 916-678-1797 or shoot us an email at hello at dearyoungmarriedcouple.com. No matter where you are in the world or in your marriage, we can set up a counseling session with you and we can work toward healing. We also post marriage advice regularly on our Instagram, which is at dearyoungmarriedcouple.com. And we'd love for you to join us there in conversation. All right. See you next week.